Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world it didn't exist. Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dan. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the most you ever lost in the contest? Go ahead. Make my day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this latest edition of Black Hole Cinema with me, your host again, Tony Black, hosting for the second week in a row. Um, so I apologise for that. Uh, today we've got a very special episode because it's our first uh, special, that is, wasn't the Oscars, it's a special revolving around a franchise this year. It's our Fast and Furious special. We have the Turbo Chargers on standby. <laughs> I'm going to give up now and just introduce you guys because this could just go on for a while. And um, with me on the starting grid... yeah. Is uh, firstly sorry, firstly uh, Emma Platt. Hello, Emma. Hello. How are you today? I'm okay. You know, full of chocolate. Full of chocolate. Like you be. Excellent. It is Easter Sunday. We are recording this, obviously. So yeah, it's the uh, it's the rules. And uh, with us tonight as well is Mr. Tom East. Hello, Tom. Hello. Are you full of chocolate? I'm not actually. I've only had a tiny, tiny bit of chocolate today. Oh. I'm actually yeah, not. disappointment. That is disappointment. And as we were just saying before we started, you're not the son of God. No. So, also, what happened with that? I've been living a lie my whole life. It's. I'm really disappointed. I'm really sad. I'm really sad. Can I just take this opportunity, by the way, to uh, wish you a happy birthday for last week, Tom, by the way? Oh, thank you. Yes, you're 21 years young, I believe. Yes, I am. I'm officially an adult now. Oh. Is that true? You're only 21? Yeah, only 21. Uh, it's not, I'm 28 it, tomorrow. It, oh, no, that's not too bad. It's not, because I'm 33 in two months. So, so you're old. So I, I really am old, yeah. Although now, now you are technically an adult, I can maybe get away with starting to call you old man, slightly. <laughs> no, no, you can't. No, I can't, no. <laughs> Thank you both for joining us for this um, Pedal to the Metal uh, edition of Black Holes. I will stop Please doing stop. that. I will. I'm sorry. I, I can't help it. Um, yes, this is all. It's fast. It's furious. It's not just about being fast. It's about being furious. And you know that's as the tagline goes. And that's the that's as I say what this podcast is all about. We're going to talk about the most bizarre 
franchise, I think, in Hollywood today, quite honestly. The Fast and Furious franchise, which, as we know, stars Vin Diesel, the uh, the late Paul Walker, Michelle Rodriguez, Jordana Brewster, and lots of other people who st- steadily started to come into the, the franchise. And it's all cars, girls, more cars, more girls, homoeroticism, and then eventually guns and stuff. So... We all quite enjoy this franchise, obviously, and as, as we're going to go through the podcast, we're actually going to talk through all the films, and then we're going to finish with a review of um, Fast and Furious 7, or Furious 7, or whatever they decided to call it in whatever country. But before we do that, guys, what do we think about this this franchise? Let's, let's just talk a little bit about it. I mean, what, what, do, have both of you always been fans? Emma, what about you? No, this week was the first time I'd ever seen any of the films. Wow, okay, that's Never. good. It's strange because the quality improves as it goes along. Like, the first two, three aren't great, and then they get better and better and better, and it's 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 a weird one, isn't it, really? I mean, I enjoyed them because I had, like, explosions and stuff in. Mm. So <laughs> I'm very easy, easily pleased when it comes to films. Stick the rock in it. Once the rock shows up, I'm all over it. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. You know, it's it's... It was the point, I think, when he really came in. <laughs> he rocked up. <laughs> so, oh, sorry. Shut up. So, <laughs> yeah, when uh, when he turned up, it, it just really uh, kicked into another gear. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. You got a list. I'll tell you what, though. I'm going to be fast and furious with you if you get this out. <laughs> okay. Tom, what do, what do you think of this franchise? Are you of a similar mind as uh, as Emma? Uh, well, um, the first one I actually saw was number six. Like, I got dragged along by friends to see it, and I was like, this is going to be the dumbest film ever. Like, I had no interest in cars whatsoever. Um, and I fucking loved it. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, I was like, yeah, no, I need to watch them all. So I got them all, and then I only watched number one, which was, I think, I, I'd have to agree with Emma. There's kind of a, a low quality in the first, kind of, in the first film compared to what number six is. And somehow I managed to get my entire family hooked on these films. So they've seen all of them, and I haven't. <laughs> um, so I got dragged to see the seventh film yesterday. Mm. Well, it came out, obviously, two days ago from uh, recording this. And uh, yeah. it's already like made a fortune by the look of it. It, was, uh, it made something like $162 million over its first couple of days. Uh, so, I mean, all of them now, in the last, like two or three films I think have, have made a good 500, 600 million dollars so they're, they're a proper established serious money franchise now which is why they're getting bigger and bigger and what the, the screening I went to see it in was absolutely rammed absolutely rammed and to the point where I actually the day before I was going to go uh, on the Saturday and it, it the, the showing that I was going to go to next on the website app had actually sold out and that's that doesn't really tend to happen. I suppose it's because it's fallen in a, in, a, in a bank holiday in the UK, so everyone's off. So a lot of people are going to go and see it, but it's still, it's still really just taken off in a way I don't think anyone really expected. And I think when we talk through the films, I think we'll get more into that really to chart just how different it's changed. But just what do you think? What do you think before we get into that? What do you think the appeal is really, Emma? What do you think the appeal is? Having having come to it new. Where? What? Why? Why has it struck such a chord? I think the first one was just full of car porn and half-dressed women. 
So we had a very specific target audience, but it's evolved into more of an action franchise now. Like I think comparing like one and five, like the amount of like stunts and you know the big set pieces is just there's hardly there's like none really in the first one. And then as you go along, it's kind of found its identity more to appeal to more people because I when it first came out well it's 2001 I was like 13 I would never watch it anyway or like the second one because it was like cars racing all this but now it's like look explosions the rock Jason mm. Statham like it's just become broader and broader and like my mom wants to see number seven not just because Dwayne Johnson's in it and she's a massive Dwayne Johnson fan <laughs> because she was like oh that looks cool it's got like so it's evolved I think and I think that's really hard for a franchise to do and mm. I think it's the only franchise I can think off the top of my head outside of horror films, which is at such a high number. Like, I know, like, you've got, like, Friday the 13th is, like, like a number 11, so they're, like, all those type of films are, like, like 9, 10. And I can't think of any other series that's got this many installments in it. I, I struggle. I struggle to think. I struggle to think of one, really. If, you, if you're not talking about, like, the ones that have been going for, like, 30 years, you know. Like Bond. Bond. Is that what you're going to say, Tom? No, I was actually going to say Harry Potter and three. Ah, yeah. Ah, yeah. But you see, the difference with that is obviously Harry Potter's a, got yeah. the books, so it's actually you know got a. They always it's knew they were. Fan base there, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and they always knew they were going to do yeah, you know, what was it, seven or was it eight? Because they there were seven eight. books and eight films. That's right. So they always knew they were going to do at least seven. So, you know, with this. <laughs> It's just, it was, I think, right from the off, completely, you know, um, completely a surprise, I think, in terms of how it's how it's developed and everything like that. But um, as somebody who hasn't seen all of them, Tom, do you think that if you went back now and watched the earlier ones, then you would you would view it differently? Or do you think, what do you think your experience would be? Or it might be, I mean, you may go and do that soon, I don't know. I think, now that I know that, a lot of the earlier films do kind of tie into uh, Fast and Furious 6 and Fast and Furious 7, like especially, um, I know Tokyo Drift kind of takes place around the time of 6 and 7, mm. there's a weird kind of timeline mm. to how you're supposed to, like how they take place. Um, so I definitely would like to kind of go back and just see all the little places where it kind of connects in. I'm sure when they're making them, they didn't quite think of it, like all oh, this is going to tie in in the future. But the fact that they've managed to do that is really quite impressive, mm. um, especially over so many films. So I think it'd be quite nice to kind of go back and, like, like when I watched the first one, it's nice to see where the characters um, of Brian and um, Toretto kind of started and seeing how they were enemies. And then by time number seven comes around, they're, they're family, pretty mm. much. Well, they are. Mm, well, yeah, pretty, but, much, pretty much literally, yeah. That leads us into a good position, I guess, to talk, really, to start at the very beginning and, and start charting this course. So let's begin by talking about the, uh, the first one, The Fast and the Furious. One race, 2G buy it, winner takes all. I don't have any cash, but I do have the pink slip to my car. <laughs> you brave, you brave. You're in. Do it fast, do it furious. On the street, where reputations are made. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. <laughs> Winning's winning. You go for it, Emma. This is this is <laughs> you, you watched this <laughs> recently. So, Fast and Furious Seven. Um, I 
story of it is that Paul Walker's character, Brian, is a undercover police officer who is infiltrating Vin Diesel's team or gang. And because the police think they're responsible for a load of heists on trucks. And in doing this, he gets to indulge in his love of racing and falls in love with Toretto's sister, Mia, who is Jordana Brewster. And it's it's kind of strange because you start off with this heist that you don't really see unfold all the way. And then there's a race at the beginning and then there's like nothing. It's like a really big chunk of the film in the middle. Like it's just about establishing that oh, Toretto's a really good guy and he went behind these heists and, you know, Paul Walker getting on the side of Vince who's part of Vin Diesel's team, who's obviously got a thing for Mia, and those two fall in love, which I totally wasn't interested in at all. I did mm. not care about the relationship between Paul Walker and Jordana Brewster at all. I was just like, this is crap. Mm. What I found interesting was the way the cars and the women are shot in the the first race scene is very similar. They're both fetishized in the same way. So the women like the camera tends to linger I thought on the cars the same way it was lingering on women which I thought was quite interesting but it's I mean that's obviously very deliberately done because they're trying to I think trying to invoke the same this sounds really weird invoke the same feelings when people are looking at the cars and when men are looking at the women if you know what I mean that yeah. kind of like excitement and that sounds really weird but I can't explain it any better than that I like Michelle Rodriguez's character Letty I don't think she was in it enough I like I like Michelle Rodriguez anyway. I mm. love her in Resident Evil. I've watched that film a hundred times just for her. I like the way she's like me is kind of like a housewife carer type role, and all the other bimbos in it are just there to look pretty. But she's kind of like there's a scene where she's quite heavily sexualized by another racer, and he's talking about like racing for her ass and stuff, and she's just like, "Bitch, please, I'm gonna race you for it." Mm. <laughs> and then just you know, freaking him in this race and then she gets involved in the fight later on as well like she can take care of herself so I really like her character in it I didn't understand why the police were like putting like they talked about how much money had been stolen off the trucks but I was thinking you spent millions on this undercover operation for a, some DVD players like that didn't make any sense to me but obviously I'm not applying too much logic to Fast and Furious well, really. I, mean, well I mean one of the no, things that one of the things I said uh, in one of my reviews because uh, I've been rewatched them recently, was Brian is the worst FBI agent ever. <laughs> He's so hopeless. He's just rubbish because he ends up obviously, you know, basically becoming like going, as they say, going, going native with these guys and ending up like falling in love with the whole racing side of it and obviously the Mia. But like you say, the, the operation they've got is isn't but is badly run. He's like just rubbish at his job, and he's so well. They're the most ineffectual police. I think the whole point is, though, it's not, like, obviously about the police. And they're, they're already, I think, from day one, being set up as, like, anti-heroes. You know, like Dom and uh, Dom Toretto, which is obviously Vin Diesel. And he comes out and he's like... You know, and then you have to... I'm surprised he's not subtitled, actually, Vin Diesel, because sometimes... I don't get friends, I have family, and all this. But it's like, he just, weirdly enough, even though most of the people in this are bellends, <laughs> and they are, they are, they really are bellends, you kind of, you kind of like them, and that's kind of how I felt about it, really, and I think, 
You know, I, I liked to an extent the fact I liked it more actually watching it now than I did some years ago when I watched it. I thought it was really quite wanky, and they they are the first are a bit wanky, and they they're a bit in love with themselves and a bit in love with the cars, and like you say, the the fetishized cars and girls porn of it, right? Which is totally there. But the idea is that they're supposed to be kind of recapturing like the uh, exploitation films of like the fifties, which people were going, kids were going watching the drive-ins, you know, with their open-top cars. In fact, it's the name "The Fast and the Furious" comes from a fifties B movie. Um, it's nothing the same, obviously, but it comes from like one of those exploitation James Dean kind of, you know, the kids are cool kind of films. So it's kind of tapping into that really, and the director Rob Cohen. He's going for that style, and it is very sexy and in its way, and quite hot. You know, it's 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 shot in like a heat. It's like a heat wave. It's like they're in a perpetual yeah, heat wave. That's that's what I thought. It looks like it's all everything sandy and like mm. dusky and hazy, except for the cars. Mm. I think when you said it's sexy, I think it's it's a version of sexy. Well, in inverted like, commas, it, it, I suppose it's sexy yeah, in inverted commas. It's like this is what we think. 16 year old boys are going to think of sexy fast yeah. cars and slutty women which they probably do so whatever. <laughs> um, but do you know what really annoyed me I was like I didn't know the end and I was sitting there all the way go, through going this is crap it's obviously nothing diesel and when it turned out it was their gang doing a heist I was proper pissed off <laughs> I was like how dare you do this to me I had faith in you I was so annoyed and then I was like when he was saying to like um, Paul Walker's character, I'll let you in on what we're doing, I honestly believed he was going to say, like, oh, we delivered like, candy to sick children in the hospital. I was <laughs> definitely convinced it was going to be that, and it wasn't, and I was really annoyed. Also, the, the uh, was it Trang who comes in at the end and is like the baddie kind of? Yeah, Johnny Trang, yeah, Rick Yoon, yeah, the, uh, the, uh, the Asian guy. Yeah. He's a terrible shot. He had all those fucking bullets <laughs> at the end, and he only managed to hit Jesse <laughs> yeah. once. That yeah. was it. And then, and then he's like, isn't he shot like at long range on a bike, like by yeah. Paul Walker, who just with one shot, it's just like, Phew! you know, and he's down. It's like, it, and you know, if he's that bad a shot, you know, the Asian guy, Johnny, Paul Walker, isn't that good a shot? No chance. Not at speed on a bike. But I mean, this this is this is nothing compared to the madness of later films. <laughs> I know, but you kind of get used to it. Like you want to see. Um... You expect to see just more and more insane things, mm. but like I said, you can't really apply too much logic to it. No. You can't. No, you, you can't. can't really look too much into like the flaws of it. Like you're a terrible shot and that kind of thing, because it's not meant to be that type of film. Obviously, it's mm. it's kind of trash, isn't it? Mm. You know, and the the all fair play, they know what type of films they're making. They know they're never going to win Oscars and all that sort of stuff. So they know their audience, and they know the audience going to keep coming back for more and more. But watching this, I thought, how the hell did you even get a sequel? Never mind. You know, mm. like six other films after this. Like, that made no sense to me whatsoever. And it made made 200 million worldwide, yeah. which is not an awful lot, really, when you consider how much the rest of the films have made and stuff like that. I mean, back in 2001, it probably was. But... Well, I think it I was. Think, it, it was. I think it was a relatively good rate of return because the budget would have been a lot less. The budget would probably have been it was about thirty-eight million. Yeah, so that on that size budget, it's you know that that's a really good rate of return based on the fact they probably didn't expect to make much more than the, their budget back on that. Really, um, so Fast and the Furious would have been much more of a low-budgeted. Yeah, it'll do all right. And then when it made two hundred million, they're like, "What? What? Really?" And then, obviously, they, they forgot the fact that young people want girls, cars, and a bit of shooting. Don't they, Tom? You're young. Isn't that what they want? 
Apparently I am. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, I was only f- seven when the first oh, one came out. God. I do remember, um, I do remember growing up, there was a lot of, like, a lot of my friends were kind of obsessed with the films. Like I said, I've never really had much of an interest in cars. Mm. So I was just, I kind of dismissed them as, like, dumb car movies. Turns out that they're a lot better than what I thought they were going to be. But I definitely, <laughs> I definitely agree that, you know, being filmed with such a small budget, for what for what the first film is, is actually really impressive that it's made so much in return. Mm. And I do think that kind of tapped into what I suppose was, like, my generation's kind of fixation on cars and stuff like that. And I think, I think the fact that each film has kind of expanded on it more and more, and like Emma said, with the kind of way they've almost fetishised cars mm. in the same way that they're fetishising the girls in the movie, I think that kind of is continually tapping into the younger audience. And I, I suppose at times it's almost like softcore porn plus cars. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. And that, that just happens to sell really well. So they're just, you know... It's a formula they've got down. They've added action to it. Um, so I mean, the first one's not that action-packed, but mm. it, it did enough to get the, to, you know, to make the point of saying, you know, this is what this franchise is. These are who these characters are, and clearly enough people liked it for it to take off and kind of become this huge thing. But it was weird because it had a little bit of a difficult start in a sense because yes, it did well, but then with the second one, it kind of changed up, and uh, that's a good chance for us to talk about Too Fast, Too Furious. All right, all right, all right, fire them up! It's time, it's time for the week to go home! Keep your eyes on the Cowboy. Because this is this is where it kind of well, it, it, you know, it went a little bit in a different way, didn't it, Emma? You you saw this recently, didn't you? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, Vin Diesel's not even in it. It's Paul Walker who is now like kind of on the run, kind of because he aided Vin Diesel and he is. He's got this nickname, Bullet. Like, <laughs> I, don't know wow. that's a, I know that's a reference to, like, Steve McQueen and all that, mm. but Jesus Christ, Bullet. And he's doing races around, like, Miami to earn money and stuff. And then he gets arrested by the, is it the feds. I think it's the feds. It's always the feds. The feds. And they're like, we're going to make a deal with you. You can help us take down this drug dealer or we're going to throw you in prison. And my first thought was, why would you ask this guy to help you like is there literally no other person in the whole of Miami never mind the whole of the USA who could possibly help you take down a drug dealer better than shitty Paul Walker let's ask I mean his shitty character let's ask the worst FBI agent ever who's not an FBI agent anymore but is a criminal (laughs) yeah doesn't make any sense and then like it's just it's just then there's like there's money involved at some point I think they like double cross someone I can't really get it straight in my head he gets his Tyrese Gibson involved mm. and he's like help me and we'll get our records clean and isn't that like is it just me or is this whole clean slate thing in a hell of a lot of films yeah like the last thing 
it's I mean it was in um, Dark Knight Rises mm. and all that like oh we we will expunge your record can they even do that well in that film they, they did sort of lampoon that didn't they in a way because it turned out that it just didn't exist and they were like well of course that doesn't exist you know in that yeah. film it was a trick she was being tricked but they, in things like this it's like yeah of course there's of course there's that technology of course we can wipe your slate clean and you know everything's fine it's yeah uh, yeah so yeah this, they get this this drug money and they end up like obviously taking down the crime lord who is completely unmemorable really to be honest there's not really there's not anything about this film I would say is like really stuck out in my mind except for the lack of Vin Diesel and mm. I'm not like Vin Diesel's biggest fan or nothing but I just felt like that dynamic between him and Paul Walker in the first one it, it was definitely lacking and maybe it was just I thought it was really lacking because I'm new to the franchise and all that kind of thing but there's definitely something missing and they end up him and Tyrese Gibson end up like taking some money and just skipping off into the distance mm. and you know once again you can kind of see like how it's starting to evolve into what we know now there are more races and things like that there's not that much action obviously but it felt like like a cheap cash in and like later on mm. a lot of the films it feels like okay we know we're not going to be taken seriously so we're going to have as much fun with it as possible and they still at the same time make it really good and this were just like we've made loads of money let's rush it out in the next 18 months just get a script down sign up mm. if you can whatever we're not bothered and I kind of feel like you can really tell with this one they've tried to make it different enough from the first one like you still got your sunny your sunny backdrop and your girls in your bikinis and your racing and this whole drug lord thing so you still it's, it doesn't feel different enough and I kind of think a sequel it should tell a different story. I mean, unless you're going to do it like 22 Jump Street, where you just like uh, like say into the camera, we are making the same film again with the same jokes, and you will still love it. Yeah. It's just, it's laziness. But it's, you know, I'm not big studios that really care about like rehashing things. I mean, you can look at the state of cinema now. So it was just all about the money, and you can kind of tell. And this mm. is like, I know I said about like, how the hell could you make a film? think you'd make a sequel from Fast and Furious but this one's really poor mm. like I've seen Tokyo Drift and I didn't really enjoy that but this I think it's like the worst one out of all the ones I've seen I really do think yeah, it's the worst one I do agree I think I think it's it is the laziest I think you're spot on in what you say it is the laziest it tries to be the sleekest it's definitely the most wanky you know it really is it's so in love with itself it's untrue and it has none of that kind of you know, considering that you know Roman Pierce, Tyrese's character, goes on to be such a great comic, you know, foil, right? He, it, it, you know, it doesn't seem like that's really there, you know. And it's like, it's just, it's just pure car porn. It's pure. Isn't everyone gorgeous? Let's be set in Miami, you know. Let's all be trying be sexy and sleek and it's just hollow as anything without any of the sense of fun. And you know, people wanted to see Vin Diesel. They wanted that, like you say, that dynamic between him and uh, Paul Walker, which even though neither of them really can act, they have a certain on-screen chemistry in a way. You know, they, they, they probably, they missed, I mean, Michelle Rodriguez, you said earlier, Michelle Rodriguez is awesome. She's awesome in anything. I love that woman to bits. She's brilliant. She dies too often in things, but she's brilliant. Um, she definitely does. She does. Michelle Rodriguez looked like she'd give you the night of your life and then beat you up and take your money and that's you would a, sit there and go thank you Michelle exactly. Rodriguez thank you for that that is exactly why I love her because you're <laughs> exactly it but yeah it just it, the only things I think of merit of this it was directed by John Singleton who made um, Boys in the Hood so it should have been better really he's a better director you know than this but it was just a cheap cash in the only things of interest I think were the fact that Tyrese and Ludacris who he obviously plays Tej and he ends up being part of the crew as well and he's quite a good part of the crew they at least 
you know, had their debuts in this, and I, I like the way it kind of ties everything together. But this made two hundred thirty-six million, you know, off a seventy-six million budget. So it's still in making money to the point where obviously they're going to do more, which leads to the Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Called drifting. What do you mean drift? The cars are lighter. The tires are slick. When you drift, if you ain't out of control, you ain't in control. Still need a dictionary. And this is this is where I think it started to change slightly. This 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 was this was the beginning. Even though it's not a good film, like you said, Emma. It basically because it's got a whole new cast, really. You know, completely. It's obviously it's set in Tokyo. For the most part, and it uh, has Lucas Black, who um, I don't know if either of you remember a show called American Gothic years yeah. ago. You probably before I'm sure it's definitely before nope. your time, Tom. Yeah, and uh, it wasn't. I mean, Matt Layden loves this show. He's a massive fan, but it was a very quirky kind of Twin Peaksy kind of thing in the mid '90s. And I never really watched it, but I heard good things. And he was, I think, he was in that as a boy, and then he was in the X Files movie as a boy, and I remember that. I love that film, but yeah, he's uh, he's got proper Texan accent, so he's like that. He sounds like a proper hick the whole way through, like that. And then he's he's like a, an edgy. Well, even though he's clearly about twenty five, he plays an edgy like seventeen year old <laughs> who uh, who's he keeps nicking cars and getting in dribble. Oh God, that just makes his cameo in number seven even worse. It's weird. It's weird, right? He suddenly ages about ten years. Yeah. In- 10 seconds it's he, bizarre it is bizarre and uh, it's really well, exactly but he's, he's yeah he's supposed to be about 17 <laughs> it's, it's mental oh. whereas in reality that guy's got to be about 35 but yeah so he's like, he plays a guy called Sean Boswell who's you know they're kind of clearly trying to gear him up as the new Brian in a way even though he's got a very different backstory but he's the stock kind of American you know chiseled jaw guy even though he's he doesn't at all have like Paul Walker's you know Californian surfer dude good looks and that sort of natural charisma he's not a bad actor but he just doesn't really fit this role at all and he's he gets sent to Tokyo because he keeps getting in trouble and then inevitably he gets involved in street racing and meets Bow Wow who basically takes the Ja Rule and the ludicrous role in this and it's, ju- it's just rehashing and he meets this cute girl who I can't even remember who she is but she's she's cute she's although 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 She's a schoolgirl again who's like got to be about 22, 23. So that's a little bit creepy as well, right? I don't know why they do this. So um, he meets this girl anyway who's, you know, she's she's cute but boring. And then uh, it's the same plot. It's exactly the same plot. He gets caught up with the Yakuza because, you know, the... Uh, yeah, obviously. Because, you know, obviously he's in Tokyo. He's got, of course he gets caught up with, with the, the Mafia. But because the guy who's like the, the Drift King, as he calls himself, is the nephew of, yeah, the Drift King, um, DK, DK, he's called, he's the nephew of the Yakuza boss. So in the end, you know, it's just, and it is, it is quite dull, really. But the, 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 the reason I say that it, it's the trigger for everything is because there's a few things with Tokyo Drift that are very, very strange. The first one is that they introduce a character called Han, who's called, played by Sun Kang, who basically is a bit like the Obi Wan to Sean to Lucas Black. He t- t- teaches him the ways of, of you know drifting and all this kind of thing to get to win the races in order to you know win the girl and, and blah, blah blah. But then he dies right at the very end, 
uh, in a car crash, very suddenly, it's very random, right? But in that film, it's clearly meant to be a random car crash, right, that he dies in. And then, at the very end, then, Vin Diesel shows up. Now, Vin Diesel had actually made a deal um, with Universal that for him to cameo in this, they would give him the rights to Riddick, basically. So, you know the, the Pitch Black films that actually made him famous, the, the Pitch Black, the first one in, like, 98, I think that was? That was before Fast and Furious really took him off. But that then leads into the next film, which Vin Diesel's back in, which is Fast and Furious. Just like old times. So, you know each other? He used to date my sister. You're a lucky man. How's that? You're still breathing. Okay. Kind of, it, it's, it's not the same as the first film. But it is, in a way. There's less racing in this. It is still there, but it's more about them being like a family. And this this is where that whole start thing started to really kick off, about them being a family. About, you know, we're a family, and that kind of thing. And about them being a unit, which is why Michelle Rodriguez is killed, well, killed off, in inverting commas, at the beginning. Right? For whatever reason, I think she was possibly busy doing other things, but the idea is that Dolly's on his own, he's out for vengeance, he's angry, and then Brian was the one who basically ran her in like an operation to take down a, um, like a, a drug lord, like a, 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 using cars to smuggle things through the Mexico-US border. So, brings them all back together, and obviously then Mia and Brian, who went their separate ways, rekindled their romance, and it's a very, 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 you know, single, sim, simple, obvious plot. But there is definitely more action. They definitely up the action here. It's not quite the transition film into what it becomes. And again, it doesn't quite have the humour yet enough. It's still taking itself a little bit too seriously. But it's it's more action-packed. It's more fun. And it you can see that they're starting to think there's more to this than they've, they've, they've used before, they've had before. And it was, it was a big thing. You know, it, it, made, it was the same amount of money... It cost 85 million, but it made 363 million. So this, it made the most of all of them so far. And I think this was the point where they realised, you know, we can do this now. We can actually make this. And it, like I say, it's not an amazing film. It doesn't really, you know, do anything. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. No. <laughs> Doesn't reinvent the wheel. Sorry. Um... <laughs> I I really I don't have these written down I swear so yeah but and as I say you know Han is in this but he's in it for like five minutes Uh, and it's it's like well so you you created an entire franchise around a guy who's in it for five minutes very very weird and then um, Gal Gadot I think I think is how you say her name the one who's become Wonder Woman now she she turns up as Giselle who's this a uh, bit of a tart really she's like a bad girl but and she she's all over Vin like a rash and so yeah basically yeah so she's um, she turns up and then you know it's all just left in the position where you've got Dom finally in in, in serious trouble and then you know being sent off to Chokey and then Brian just gives up the, the FBI life which she was never really good at anyway <laughs> and then you know they're a team they are properly a team properly slash a family which obviously kicks in to Fast Five Sullivan are you crazy? do you know whose money are you stealing? we ain't stealing that alright listen up the men we're after are professional runners we find them, we take them as a team, and we bring them back. And above all else, we don't ever, ever let them get in the cars. Which you saw, Emma, didn't you? I did, and I I saw this before I saw one and two, because it was on Sky, and my mum was shouting, Emma, that fat furious phone's on that you want to see in the rocks, and so I watched it with my mum. I would start off by saying I really enjoyed this film. Mm. Like I'd heard really good things about it, and it's definitely got all the elements in that I was expecting to see because I heard so much about five and six, and to an extent seven over the last few days. It had everything I was really looking forward to. Like the very first scene is them breaking Dom out of the prison truck, which is a bit reckless because they probably killed everyone else on board. That was just the ill-thought-out plan, but it looked awesome. And then because I saw this first when they went to Rio and met Vince I was like what the fuck is this am I supposed to know who this is and I was like well and then um, yeah so they're meeting Dom for a job in, in Brazil and he's not there on time for some reason and then they're like we're gonna steal like these cars off this train for reasons and they go and then the Diesel shows up and decides to double cross them and they take this car and that is a- I really like that scene like if Freddie was watching that with me and he was going oh, what is he doing to the train that train's going too fast where's that car going this is from a four year old he was like absolutely fascinated by it <laughs> so they take they steal this car from this gang and then there's a really brief scene like maybe I just thought it was brief and it was much longer where Vin Diesel and Paul Walker get captured by the bad guy and within 20 seconds Vin Diesel's escaped <laughs> was it was it longer than that because I, I swear he was it. just like oh damn you bad guys oh, Hulk smash train Grr. and he escaped and that was it <laughs> I was really like confused and so they go back and 
Vin Diesel sees Vince steal a chip from his car and he finds out that the chip has got the locations into this drug baron's um, safe houses. There's a lot of drugs in this, isn't there? There's a lot of drugs in this yeah. franchise. Because yeah. cars and drugs go together. And then that is when The Rock shows up and that is when shit goes down because The Rock is pissed as fuck. He is furious. He's not just fast. Ah, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on, sorry. God, that was my fault. <laughs> like he's you know the muscle and stuff but I've never seen him like play a borderline bad guy really like mm. he's like just angry and he's like stay the fuck out my way which was <laughs> I was just like no Rocky no raise your eyebrow and tell him to smell what you're cooking <laughs> that might actually be a direct quote you know you know I, I'm sure at one it, point in that film he turned around and went stay the fuck out of my way I bet, I'm he sure he, he goes, did I need two things and then he like I don't know he says the first thing he needs and he goes the fellow's like and what's the second thing and he goes get the fuck out of my way <laughs> so then Vin Brilliant. Diesel decides that they're going to rob all this money off this drug baron so they can all start new lives and this was quite clever I thought because they know it's in different locations they hit the first location like the really badly guarded one no one will move all the money into one central location thus making it easier to rob which was clever that's very clever <laughs> then like the shooting and then the, the drug baron finds out who's doing it and they put a tracker on the rock's car because the rock shows up at this rally and he's like boo I'm going to take you down and Vin Diesel's like bitch please we've all got guns fuck off and he does <laughs> again a great quote goes, yeah yeah then they put a <laughs> tracker on his please. car and the rock's like I reverse tracked you <laughs> like you know this pseudo fake hacker language and then they get attacked by the drug baron and he fucking blows everyone up everyone's dead except for Vin Diesel's crew and the rock and the other girl whose name I can't remember and then this is when The Rock's just like you know what I know you're the bad guy but I'm gonna help you because vengeance is more important than the law mm. and we and have and we have a sleazy slimy Spanish drug baron to take down so you know we, Mexican drug baron so we must yeah we must team up and, and do this we're back together so they all team up to pull off this heist and you know they, they just they pull a safe off the wall of the police station and then they swap the safe for a fake safe and then Vin Diesel's nearly like Paul Walker's nearly caught and Vin Diesel's like no go you're about to be a father I can't do the voice Tony you might be best doing I'm not sure I can (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing Jeff Bridges meets you know Batman clearly so you know it's not working for me so it ends up with like The Rock being like kind of basically you have earned my respect and I'm going to instead of doing my job properly I'm going to give you 24 hours. What made me laugh is when they crash the cars with the drug barrier and the rock gets out and he's like, help me. And he's like, no, fuck off. Bang, bang, dead. Are there no repercussions for this? Like, is the rock above the law? Well, it's the rock. The rock is above the law. Yeah. Yeah, Obviously. And he's just like, go, I will catch you. And like, I really enjoyed this. It had enough explosions in and enough of Dwayne Johnson in to keep me interested. The only thing I would have liked is if The Rock had rock bottomed a few people. I know it doesn't like to run. Like, but if he'd done that, I think I would have just lost my shit and been walking around the house interrupting my mum going, it doesn't matter what you think! Because <laughs> I'm easily excited by things like this. So, I really enjoyed this. I, I, I think I will watch six after I finish this podcast because that's how much I enjoyed it. Oh, well, you really should anyway because six is a great film. But, yeah, interestingly enough, the Rock wasn't originally the, the first guy they wanted. They originally, believe it or not, had, had this role in mind with to- Tommy Lee Jones. Rock right? Yeah, seriously. I know. They, they obviously had this idea of, of a really grizzled... They were thinking of, like, you know, The Fugitive with Tommy Lee Jones as the US Marshal. 
you know, and that kind of thing, clearly. They, they were going down that route. And then they, Vin Diesel's very active on Facebook, and he often asks his fans things and questions and things like that. So presumably he put his fans, who do you think should play Hobbs? And then they all went, well, what if The Rock, obviously. If you want the best bounty hunter in the world, The Rock, surely. And, th- and they, they immediately called The Rock up and went, do you want to be in it? And The Rock was like, yeah, man. And that was it. And they were off. And they redesigned the whole role for The Rock, which was a stroke of genius. So the fans... The fans are, to, uh, are responsible for this, really, because they would have gone... I mean, Tommy Lee Jones is awesome, but it would have been a very, very different kind of thing yeah. with him, and it wouldn't have been nearly as fun. Because, you know, The Rock just really elevates it. I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of him as an actor anyway. I think he's very underrated, The Rock. I think he's, he's, I think he's got a genuine talent for comedy. I think he's got... Obviously, he's, he's just a, a hulk of a man, um, but he's, he's a good actor. He is actually a good actor. I think you could actually put The Rock in a genuine drama and he'd be good I really do he is the thing as well when the high points of the film like there's no racing in this like you know you see in the previous films it's not about the like that circuit mm. one of the highlights is the fight between The Rock and Vin Diesel because they are just knocking fuck out of each other and they're going through walls and I didn't think that would ever happen I was thinking if The Rock hit Vin Diesel he would go through a wall yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. like that would happen but the Rock gets a lot of love in this household because obviously me, my mum, and my brother are massive WWE fans, and we have been since like two thousand. But anything that he's in, my mum will go to see, or she will watch on TV. Mm. She for a woman who's like nearly sixty, she's got an unhealthy amount of love for Dwayne Johnson. I swear <laughs> to God, we were watching WrestleMania last week. And it was like I don't know, three o'clock in the morning, and I was in bed, and she freaking ran upstairs. Everybody, the Rock's on, the Rock's on. She stayed up to watch WrestleMania, <laughs> and that's that's my mother, and that explains everything you need to know about me. <laughs> but yeah, he, he he is he's awesome, you know. And in this, he he helps sell it. And Fast Five is often in um, film critic circles, and you know that kind of thing. He's quite he's believed by many to be the best one. I don't necessarily, I don't quite agree. He's a very good, and it's the moment that it really becomes an interesting franchise because they actually. The, the studio was like well, well why don't we transition this now we've got to a point where we've got a lot of these genuine like modern day you know action superheroes you've got Vin Diesel you've got The Rock you know you've got two of those guys why can't we actually make this more like you know a true massive action franchise and the, the idea was that they wanted to make it like in the spirit of like big great heist films like The Italian Job and things like that now it was it was a brilliant idea and it works remarkably well and it, it is the bank vault moment where they're they're in Rio with a bank like safe their car into and that's the point where you go yeah they've done it this this is this is something else now this isn't just a bit of a of a, of a wanky you know sort of drag racing fest this is where it gets more and more and more mad and that is when. I mean, the new one has really taken it to new heights, but Fast and Furious 6, that nearly gets it there as well. Last week, a team of highly coordinated drivers took down an entire military convoy. You know Rio was my last job. I know you didn't do it. But you're going to help me take down the team that did. And why is that, Hobbs? Been chasing this crew across 12 countries. This was taken a week ago. It's impossible. I need your help, Dom. 
I need your team. Tom, you've seen Fast and Furious 6. <laughs> I have. What, yes. what, what do you think? Like you said, I mean, with Fast 5, it kind of changes the genre from just to like a street racing movie to a kind of heist movie with cars. Mm. Um, and it, it definitely ramps up the action. And it makes it a lot more personal because, I mean, there's kind of, I'm not sure if you'd say consequences, but the involvement of Letty, who you're kind of led to believe is dead before that, mm. kind of, it brings it back home and once again reinforces the idea of them being a family. I, I, I think it kind of felt, I mean, coming in as someone who had never seen the film before, you get a good sense of, who, like, who the characters are and what they mean to each other. Um, and I think... <laughs> Kind of, it plays to all of their strengths. It kind of like puts Brian back in a situation where he has to deal with the FBI, and then again ties back into the fourth film because it's uh, oh god, what's his name? Drago, something like that. Drago. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's the, the guy he goes into prison to see. It's the guy from the fourth film, something like that. Oh, what the the villain, Braga. Yeah, that's one. Drago's Dr- you're <laughs> are you thinking of Rocky 4 <laughs> is it Rocky 4 or Rocky 3 <laughs> um, so yeah no, again it, t- it ties back into like the fourth film um, and then of course the very end ties into the third film kind of bringing it back full circle that's which brilliant which is just really bizarre I was with I was with like three people who are obsessed with the film series. So they're like, oh my god, that's Tokyo Drift, that's Tokyo Drift. And I'm sat there thinking, what the fuck is Tokyo Drift? <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I, I think personally, uh, having seen six and seven, I do think six is probably my, my favourite ones, the ones I've seen. It's, it's just a genuinely good action movie, to be honest. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of fun and plus there is an amazing scene where Michelle Rodriguez and oh god what's her name uh, I'm really bad with names Gina Carano um, the the, the, yes. the woman yeah 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 yes they have an amazing fight scene at they the do. very end they do um, and it was actually quite nice to see Mia is is that her name mm. kind of get involved in I mean she's not majorly involved but she is kind of one of the, the stakes in the film that they have mm. to rescue her so it's kind of nice to see her get involved and um, driving because it's nice to see that that's a family trait uh, so yeah no I just genuinely enjoyed it I think it was a very good film uh, it's a popcorn movie obviously it's like a switch your brain off and eat popcorn while you watch the big explosions but there's nothing wrong with that I mean it's mm. genuinely good at what it sets out to do which is entertaining well I mean I, I think that it, it's the one that really 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 made you go okay this this is a superhero film with cars now because and the and this new one which we'll talk about in a minute really really does that but this this is where they they started to set the bar with this because fast 5 it did it was still transitioning it did do some of that but it had a little bit more of the older the older style to it as well people lapped it up though i mean one thing i didn't say before is that fast 5 made 626 million at the box wow. office which is and for a 125 million film which isn't necessarily massive uh, to to produce so it was huge they they upped the budget again on the Fast and Furious 6 to 160 million and it made nearly 800 million at the box office Fast and Furious 6 yeah so it's like it's it's like a 
behemoth. And you know, to be quite honest, this new one, even though I think it's gonna it's gonna do really well, it will struggle to beat that really, because that's an enormous, enormous amount of money to make. That only usually in massive, massive, long running tentpole franchise films like like your Star Wars and your Batman's make that kind of money. So it's remarkable. The sixth highest grossing, the the forty ninth highest grossing film ever. Right. So yeah. It's just, it's ascended to a new level. And the reason is because it knows exactly, exactly what it's doing. It, it has a confidence about it. And, and again, I'll say that about the new one because I thought, I thought the new one was very good. And it has the same kind of thing. But Six, it's wonderful in how utterly mad it is. The, the, the two things that stick out in my mind are um, Vin Diesel's flying headbutt, which... I don't know if you remember that, Tom, but at one point he literally flies and headbutts somebody. Like, like <laughs> it's it's incredible, right? <laughs> and then the 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 final chase sequence, which is basically them trying to stop a plane, and people have actually done studies on this. For that actual actually to have been real, that would that runway would have had to have been twenty five miles long. Yeah, right. It did seem like a very, very long runway. It's it just because that plane doesn't take off, and it's the, the the sequence is about fifteen minutes long, and they're they're going at high speed, and then it never takes off. And I think somebody said it would have to have been about twenty five mile runway. It's amazing, it's amazing. But you don't care, you know, you're there and you're just enjoying it. There's the whole of the sequence with um obviously Luke Evans is the bad guy, the uh, the Brit baddie, I'm sure. He just at one point commandeers a tank. And just starts, you know, trashing like freeways and everything, and they're having to leap off cars onto tanks, and he's just barreling through cars, just smashing people and killing them. And you are there going, "This is possibly the greatest thing I've ever seen." It's, it's just like it was just gleeful in how mental it is, it, and 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 it, it brings, it really does bring. Fast Five started to do it, but it really does bring everyone back together. So it brings back Michelle Rodriguez, presumably after they realise, because I don't necessarily think her dying in the fourth one was was a narrative move really I don't then get that sense I think they they killed her off and then went shit what have we done that for oh let's bring her back because that's why they have the, the post credit sequence at you know at the end of Fast Five with and you go oh she's back and then obviously with this one as you've mentioned Tom you've got the post credit sequence which ties into Tokyo Drift and stayed them going Dominic Toretto you know and all that stuff <laughs> that's see, like, that was a good impression I'll give you that yeah, thank you was... yeah so it's like, isn't Letty like brainwashed or she's got amnesia or something in this one? What, what is it, Tom? Is it that she's just like, um... It's, um, I believe from, um, the fourth film when they, when they try and kill her instead of actually killing her, she, uh, gets, like, she basically gets brain damage from the crash and then when Luke Evans's character finds her and he's going to take her out, he then realises that he can use her because she physically doesn't remember anything from her past life. So then throughout number six and um, again number seven, she's trying to recall, you know, her past life that she physically can't remember. She doesn't remember Toretto, she doesn't remember Brian. So she's kind of just a pawn to Luke Evans's character throughout the entire thing. And it's kind of interesting to see her kind of arc going from basically a villain to you know, back to the Letty that we know. Mm, mm. But yeah, because she is, she is to seem to be a bad guy, a baddie, doesn't she really, even though she's never, com- you know, she's always a little bit confused about it. But yeah, this clearly was designed, obviously, to tee up the the latest film, but it really does set the bar hugely high. And then that brings us, obviously, to the new one, Fast and Furious 7. That's right. 
I know you haven't seen it yet, Emma, Emma, have you? But um, no. I think Tom, I think I think this is the best one, personally. What do you think? I do think that's fair. I think I think I maybe enjoyed Fast Six more. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if it's because going into this film there was so much to live up, live up to, not only with Fast Six but kind of everything that happened around the production. Mm. But I, I, I think this is a genuinely great film. I, I had a lot of fun. I, I, I definitely think it's the ultimate popcorn movie film. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's lots of explosions, there's lots of cars. So I, I just think you'll go in expecting a good time, and that's what you get. And I think one of the things that really got me about this film, and I really enjoyed, were all the callbacks to the previous films. Mm. But I remember there's one point, uh, quite near the end of the film, I think, where they're having a chase scene and they go back to it's Brian I believe does um, what they seem to do a lot in the first film where they drive underneath a tank um, not a tank what am I saying I mean a a truck (laughs) it wouldn't surprise me if they did drive underneath a tank if they found a way they they miniaturised the car with a death ray and (laughs) it wouldn't surprise me but I mean it's just little callbacks like that where he drives under the truck and it's just like ah I see where that's from Mm. and it kind of it I think it did a really, it does a really nice job of tying all of the, all six films that come before it together mm. in like a nice little bow. So I definitely think if you've enjoyed any of the previous films, I think you'd get an awful lot out of this one. It kind of, I don't know, it almost feels like it brings it to a nice conclusion, mm. to be honest. Yeah, it does really. It's Obviously, it was necessitated a little bit, I think, by um, Paul Walker's untimely death in 2013. Because obviously they'd filmed a good proportion of it with him and then they were on a Thanksgiving break and then he died in a car crash, which is the most bizarrely prophetic death I think ever. You know, it's really like life imitating art almost with that. And so they didn't know what to do at the time and they they were sh- they, they said, you know, do we, do we carry on? Do we shut it down? And they decided to have a break, retool it. And what they did really to, to manage to finish filming it was they got him, uh, Paul Walker's brothers, to actually film the scenes and they used then quite complicated CGI in order to make it look like Paul Walker, exactly. But it's interesting when you watch the film, because there was a point in that film I started to go, right, have they got to the point yet where they they would have had to replace him? And I don't know quite what what they shot in what order, but I think they shot a lot of the film really with him. I think I think there's not a massive amount I think they... it it, it Obviously, he's more towards the final climax... But I don't know about you, Tom. I thought that they they covered that very well. The CGI I, was really yeah. excellent, and you the only thing I, you can tell it's not quite his voice slightly, but it, it was very very well done. You wouldn't if you didn't know he died. I don't think you'd know either way. No, uh, there was there was only I think two sequences that I noticed. Uh, I don't think that's quite him. I mean, the very very end, which was clearly reshot after his mm. um, after his death. And there's one scene quite near the front. It's it's the scene that ties into 
Tokyo Drift where he's putting his son in the car um, mm. there's kind of in every kind of in every shot of that scene his face is either like half in shadow mm. or he's leaning down and I was like I've got a feeling that's one of his brothers not actually him mm. uh, but I, I think they did a great job of covering up um, I think the CGI they use is pretty damn impressive yeah. and um you know, I was I was wondering, oh, was this bit shot with him? Was it not? But you know, I, I think they dealt with the outside circumstances of production really, really well, and they've made a film that's genuinely not only very good but very touching. Um, mm, mm. I think there were quite a few, um, quite a few tears when I went to see it. So not not for myself, but from people around me, because you know I'm um, emotionless. But, um, <laughs> but it, it's genuinely moving. I mean. There's just certain bits throughout the film, not even just the end. There's a scene where Brian's on the phone with Mia, and it's it's genuinely moving because you know this is the last time you're going to see Brian mm. and see Paul Walker. It's mm. genuinely it, it, it pulls you into the story even more. Yeah, it does. And it does. Yeah, it just really works because they 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 do at, at one point feign it and make it look like you know it's going to go one way with him as opposed to what they actually do. I'm being coy, so I don't want to ruin it for Emma. Um, it's okay. I was going to ask. I was going to ask you. Does he die? Oh well, no. <laughs> yeah. it, what... I, was, I was actually talking about this to my brother before, and he said he didn't know the ending. But we were both kind of said we thought it would be not disrespectful exactly, but to kill him off in the franchise as well. I don't mm. think it would have been a fitting end. And I can't imagine like for the people he worked with for so many years to kill off his character as well as you know him not being there anymore. I don't know. It wouldn't have sat right with me. If I knew his character was going to die in the film as well, I think it's much better to have him kind of written off into the sunset or whatever he did. Well, that that, um, that is that is basically what they do, you know. Literally, uh, there is a sunset. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, is there a horse? <laughs> <a beach? laughs> there is the beach. There is the beach. Yes, yes there is the beach. No, it it but it's very much it very much is like they're giving Brian the end the life that Paul Walker should have had, which. Which is really quite sweet, really, and it, it is fitting. And I mean, they could have gone the other way and given him like a really heroic death and made him like save like Vin Diesel's life or save his his kid's life, and he dies for it. I mean, that people would have they would have swallowed that because he, they would have they would have known he's died and they would have loved the nobility of it. But what they did was right, I think. It was right from a a, a story point of view, and it was right from a uh, from a personal point of view. And the ending is very sad. It is very sad, and it's. I think I think I said in my written review. I think Paul Walker would be very proud of this film, actually, because it's it's just it is really really good. It is it's got to a point now this this franchise where it's transcended so much in, of of what it was, and it's become it's become the modern equivalent of the the kind of films that you used to love as a kid. That that what well, I used to love as a kid, things like The Rock, things like the Arnold Schwarzenegger films in the eighties, like you know like the the ones where it was just more and more mad, more and more, you know, comedy, winks to the audience, tongue-in-cheek, you know, all that kind of stuff that I just used to geek out over. The, the lines, you know, the quotes. There's a moment in this where The Rock, and unfortunately, Emma, The Rock sits a lot of this out, right? Aww. Yeah, so don't tell your mum that, right? Cause she... <laughs> but he is in the, basically, he's in the beginning of the end, effectively. And he gets some really awesome moments, don't get me wrong. But there's one bit towards the end where he's in a plaster cast, right? His arm. And he literally, literally breaks his own plaster cast with the power of his arm and, and turns to his daughter and says, 
Daddy's got to go to work. And I screamed with excitement. But it's just, <laughs> it's just one of those moments that you just go, this is why, this is why we're here, right? They know exactly what they're doing. Everyone in it is having a good time, despite, you know, the tragic circumstances around the production. They, they just, they're just loving every minute of it. You've got, um, people like Kurt Russell who comes in and reminds us why we love Kurt Russell because he's brilliant as like this shadowy government agent who's just full of quips and, and stuff like that. It, it just it just works. And the, the action sequences are, are immense. I mean, they're, they're some of the biggest blockbuster things I've ever seen. They really are, you know. Um, and they go on for ages, but they never bore you. They never drag. It just It's just brilliant. You've got, you've got Statham as well. Statham, who is really should play villains more often because he's so good because he he just he just turns up every now the beauty of this what what I do love I don't know if you noticed this Tom was that they're basically there's this whole other plot wrapped up in the plot that Jason Statham's after them to avenge his brother as we knew from the end of the sixth one but then um, they also have to basically in order to stop him they have to do a thing where they go and um, they have to get like a MacGuffin called the God's Eye and the deal that Kurt Russell makes with them is right well we will give you this God's eye to find Statham if you help us take down another terrorist thing. And they go, okay. But what they forget is that Statham turns up everywhere they go, right? Yeah. So he turns up anyway to try and kill them all. And I was there going, well, what do they need that stuff for then? He's going to turn up anyway. <laughs> it's like, it makes no sense. <laughs> it's brilliant. There was, um, there was a point in the film where I did wonder if the MacGuffin, the God's eye, I, I was like, oh, is that going to be the plot of Fast 8? Because there were two kind of plots running side by side. And I was like, well, I reckon they're going to wrap up, um, wrap up the Jason Statham plot in this one and leave something for the next one. But they kind of, they managed to intertwine them quite nicely. But I was genuinely thinking, he's, he's, he's coming to you. You don't have to go after him. There's like, there's no point. Just set up kind of your defences back in, back in wherever you are. Yeah. And like, there's, there's no point to do all this travelling, but you don't mind because... Like, you want to see the big explosions and the fast cars and kind of the ridiculous, glamorous chaos of it all. I mean, the stunt pieces in this one are just absolutely fantastic. So the fact that it was all kind of pointless considering Staden was coming after them anyway just really doesn't matter to you when you're actually in no, there. You don't exactly. think about it. It's not important. You're there. You're just having so much fun with it all. Yeah. Like you say, the locations, the stunts... You know, and just the, the sheer confidence of it. It was like Mission Impossible on steroids, this film. Yes. It's, it really is. It's become... They are just superhero spies, basically, now. Just going around, doing missions, and they're still family. And it, it's, it is so much fun. Uh, and and I, am, I am now at the point where... It's funny you should say about Fast 8, because I've heard that Kurt Russell's going to play a much bigger role in Fast 8. So I think they are layering a few things in with this. But I'm at the point now where I, I can't wait. I literally can't wait for Fast 8, whether it's two years, three years. It will now be... I was looking forward to this for a while, but Fast 8 now is, is one of my upcoming I can't wait for because it, it's at the point now where they are just having so much fun. They know exactly what they're doing. They're doing it bloody well. And it's it's what exactly what a blockbuster should be. And it isn't quite as dumb as people might think it is either. It's, it's, it is shallow. It is obvious. But it, it knows what it is. And if it was truly dumb and stupid, it wouldn't have that. It wouldn't have that tongue-in-cheek. It wouldn't have that. It wouldn't have Tyrese all the way through going, so hang on, we took a plane down, then we took a tank down, and now you want to fly us in a car? And he's like, what the hell? And he's us. He's the audience. He's the audience basically turning around and going, how much more mental can this be? 
right? That's why it works. And I can't wait because when we, by the time we get to Fast Ten, they surely will be in space. It's going to get to a point where that's all. It will be. It won't be just you know driving a car out of a plane. It will be them on a rocket, right? It's so weird you said that because I was talking to my boyfriend Mike before about I was watching the films and he was like they're going to have to end up in space on like the International Space Station riding car, like driving cars around like it's a rag race or something. He's right. Because that's logically where it's going to go it's... Or under the sea. Yeah. <laughs> I would go watch both of those films. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all would. I think we all would. Well. So Tom, can we agree that Fast Fast and Furious Seven is is a very very good film? Yes, absolutely. Wonderful, recommended then. That's about it, really. We've we've picked apart the franchise. Um, we've been fast. We've been furious. I've been very furious. <laughs> <laughs> Tom has been very furious. Yeah, it just leaves me to thank you both for uh, for coming on. And um, keeping up to speed. Oh wait, it's it's eighteen days to Age of Ultron. How many days? Eighteen. Eighteen days. Thank you, Emma. Awesome. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, this is actually that is is a good point to just uh, remind people of the fact we will be doing an, uh, a, a Marvel MCU Avengers mega podcast in um, only that would be only about three short weeks basically from now which is great but uh, yeah 18 days well, I can't wait it's going to be our biggest podcast ever EVA so um, yeah you're going to love that hopefully so yeah thanks to Emma you're welcome <laughs> thanks to Tom no problem thank you for having me absolute pleasure and uh, we're, we're, uh, we're going we're gonna to shoot off now and um, and before I do any more puns, so uh Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.